Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Craig Richardville. Craig is the Chief Digital and Information Officer of Intermountain Healthcare, a roughly $14.5 billion revenue healthcare company that operates in eight states in the Rocky Mountain region of the United States. The company has roughly 33 hospitals and 385 clinics and 58,000 employees. Craig took on his role after Intermountain Healthcare merged with his former employer, SCL Health. That merger became official in April of 2022. He had been the Chief Information and Digital Officer of SCL Health for a bit more than three years. I look forward to discussing the evolution of digital and the healthcare space across his career as a digital executive in this industry, and how he helped drive a patient-first perspective to digital. His focus on cloud adoption and a mobile-first orientation to set a better foundation for the company, as well as the pathway he and his peers have taken, going from running support organization to running strategic drivers for their companies at present. Craig Richardville, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks, Peter. Nice to see you as well. Excellent. Well, Craig, uh, you have now for the past three months been the Chief Information Officer of Intermountain Healthcare. You joined that organization as a result of the merger between that entity and your former employer, SCL Health, where you were the Chief Information and Digital Officer for a bit more than three years. And um, I wonder if you could take a moment for those who may be less familiar with it to describe Intermountain Healthcare's business, please. Yeah, Intermountain Healthcare is a, a large integrated delivery network uh, servicing eight states, uh, primarily around the Rocky Mountains, up and down the, thus the name Intermountain. Uh, it is a fully integrated network. Uh, it serves all types of markets from urban uh, to rural and anything in between. It has a very large virtual and online presence. And one thing that sets it apart as well is it does have a payer arm. So it's very large in value-based care. And so being a uh, provider-sponsored payer is, a, is another nice facet of Intermountain Healthcare. Excellent. And talk a bit about your role as, as Chief Information Officer, especially during a really dynamic time of bringing these two organizations together. Talk a bit about the, the merger and the role that IT is playing in bringing the entities together. Yeah. So as we started going through the uh, planning aspects of coming together, there were several tranches that were developed. And the first tranche are those that have more of an e immediate impact upon the company as well as are going to go through a, a lot of change. And, and IT was in that first tranche. So it was HR, IT, finance, and legal were really the four divisions that were part of that. Uh, in terms of the IT piece, you know, there's a, a, a philosophy of things that we want to do to integrate our systems together. Some of that's going to be to make things interoperable so that we're not ripping and replacing. Uh, some items are going to be where we are migrating and we're going to take two different systems and pull them into one. Also, as part of this, we're looking at with the companies and how they've grown over the, the years, not all integration has always taken place as well. So there's actually other types of migrations or integrations that are going to take place that would have taken place within the company separately. But now that we're combined, we're gonna expand that scope and include all of that. So as we move through the first two years of integration, we're gonna pull those other mergers or acquisitions that did not get fully integrated and make that part of our scope as well. You know, the one thing I will say is just a few weeks into the, the new organization, uh, we actually put the digital assets together within the technology. So I'm now the chief digital and information officer and we rebranded our uh, division to be digital technology services. So we are actually now combining that future of digital into our scope of our work in the, the technology arena. 
Fascinating. And congratulations on the, 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 the increased uh, purview and, and, and prominence of the role within the organization as well. You're somebody who is, has a long history in the healthcare space, uh, initially as an executive at uh, ProMedica Health System in Ohio. Uh, you and I first got to know each other when you were in Charlotte at, as the Chief Information Analytics Officer of Atrium Health. Um, you've, as I mentioned, of course, SCL Health prior to the merger with uh, Intermountain Healthcare. Uh, you have seen the evolution of technology and digital as a, a force for innovation and change in this industry. I imagine actually probably frustrated at times about the uh, the, the pace of that change. Uh, but I'd be curious, I know as somebody who's, who is very passionate about the power of digital as a transformative force in this industry, talk about where we are um, you know, in, in this industry, obviously with the specifics of your company, where you see see the, um, the evolution of this uh, at, at currently, please. Yeah, you know, Peter, that's a great question. And um, maybe instead of long, we'll just say that I have a lot of experience. So that we don't put a time frame. <laughs> no, but the evolution of the role has been fantastic. So if you go back to the earlier days of the information technology, information services era, uh, we really kind of reported mostly into CFOs. It was really seen more as an expense center. It was a, a necessary evil to be able to spend money on technology. No one really had a good calculation of what the return was. And a lot of that happened just prior to, you know, Y2K when a lot of investments in technology took place because of the potential that was going to happen with that century change. And now you move into the next phase was really kind of focusing more upon operations. You know, we got involved into reporting into a chief administrative officer or a chief operating officer because they could now see the impact of how we could use the data and the information to impact and make the operations more efficient with how they perform the services, as well as more effective for uh, our patients and, and those coming into our healthcare system. The third, the 3.0, was really kind of focusing more on uh, data. So that's where the analytics came into place, the data. And we actually started getting a, a tremendous amount of information that was happening, not only within our own system, but within, you know, potentially competitive or collaborative systems. And so we had this amount of data and how we're going to actually make decisions based upon the data. And now what you see is the 4.0, and that was the transition more into strategy and focusing more upon the digital piece. So now you're really using technology and the services as being a differentiator you know, going into the market of how you would attract consumers, how you serve patients and how you serve the caregivers, and then the follow-up to things that happen afterwards. So really kind of moving ourselves through that cycle. I see this really kind of as a 4.0 era of the CIO. I like that breakdown. Thank you for that, that, uh, that clarity in terms of the different waves, the different uh, phases of change and transformation in the industry. I, I know, Craig, that uh, from our past conversation that you're very passionate about having a patient-first mentality and, and thinking about how, how best to engage people and patients, uh, employees, patients, the, all the, the various uh, constituent groups. And it's quite a complex group of, of, of constituents that you serve uh, as a technology and digital leader in your organization. But, but speaking of patients first, talk a bit about your own thought process about uh, digital engagement of, of patients in order to optimize uh, their experience. Yeah, great, great question, Peter, because, you know, that even now has also evolved. So patients basically uh, engage with healthcare systems in the past, which is why patients first was to take care of them. So it was more about the care side of healthcare. So you take the health and you take care. 
And when people need the services, they become patients. So that's the care side of it. Now, what we've migrated into is not only in that middle is the patient, but kind of that overall theme of a consumer. And it could be a patient. It could be a member. If you have a payer organization, uh, it could be um, just a consumer out there, a potential customer that's looking for services. Uh, people who are more seeking maybe the health and wellness side of healthcare, not only on the care side. So that internal space has, has really expanded. It's now we're looking at many different hats or personas that that inner circle uh, portrays. On a similar but slightly different note is where I put the caregivers. So a whole nother suite of services around the caregivers. And, that's, and that is primarily not only those that do the hands-on care, but that would be all associates, all staff, any contractors that come into the organization, how do you make their life easier, better, bring back kind of the joy to work and the joy of practicing medicine? The challenges that we had in the last couple of years, as, as many of us know, has to be with the, the burnout that took place, um, the high you know, impact of the pandemic and you know, people walking into almost like war zones you know, when they're going in to do their service. So a lot more of the no contact, you know, hands off. So automation, digital type of services to help the caregivers to be able to reach the patients, the members, our consumers uh, in a way that is more impactful and certainly uh, safer. Very interesting. And talk a bit about the uh, the impact of the pandemic in terms of adoption and, you know, even, even sort of a desire to engage from a greater extent digitally. Uh, there, there's been talk for quite some time about the uh, you know, telehealth, for example, uh, and yet the adoption was not necessarily as rapid as perhaps was predicted initially, but certainly something that took off for obvious reasons uh, through the, the course of the pandemic. Um, talk about that as a catalyst for the change that you're describing. Yeah, I think it really kind of started to open up the can. So we all had the ability to, to telehealth and telemedicine, but there really wasn't a lot of acceptance of that service. There's education and training that happens on both sides of the equation. Um, you know, if you're a patient and you have a PC with no camera, no audio to do a televisit makes it quite hard. But we had people scheduling, you know, that way as well. Then you also have on the provider side, it's different versus the in-person piece when I can't touch and feel what's going on, how to interpret and ask those kinds of questions in order to get the information that I need, you know, in order to provide that care. And really, I, it's really started really opening up from, from my standpoint, um, the maturity and an execution or an acceleration of that maturity. You know, I tell the, a couple of my uh, telehealth or telemedicine, you know, peers and partners around the country as part of my goal is to put you out of business. And, you know, they kind of look at it like, what do you mean? Well, there's a place for telehealth and telemedicine. But if you look at it, I tell them it's kind of like the analogy, if you remember the drive throughs at a bank, you know, on the after hours you would go through and there'd be a pneumatic tube and you'd have this, you know, this microphone and speaker system there. And you would push through a service that you wanted, whether to cash a check or to give money back. And basically via the tele, you were communicating with somebody on the other side of that glass asking for a service. You still needed two humans in order to complete that transaction. And what you see now that's happening in other parts of our life is kind of the removal of the tele or maybe over the jumping over the tele. And it's more of an online service. I don't now telebank, I online bank. And I don't tell a shop, I online shop. And that is a whole different way of how you want to deliver that service is taking the science and the predictability of providing that service 
and making it so that it, the machine does the processing for you and not a human on the other side. So on that deposit of a check, all I did was sign the check, shoot it through a tube, talk to the person on the other side, then he or she deposited that check. Now I just take a picture of it with my phone. I've eliminated that whole process and I've eliminated the human intervention in order to provide that service. So for the most part in the telehealth and the telemedicine world, we are connecting to humans. And part of our goal is to differentiate ourselves by taking the science of some of that medicine that's being practiced and putting that into an app, into the tool, so that the tool actually does the communication, the serving of the, the service back to the patient member customer. Very interesting. And I know part and parcel of your vision of a patient-first reality needs to be needs to have as its foundation a cloud-first, mobile-first uh, mentality as well, and, and the actions and, and investments representative of what that entails. Talk a bit about your own thought process around the evolution of this. I know healthcare in many ways, and for obvious reasons, given the sensitivity of the data that is collected and managed within an organization like the many that you've been a, a leader in, uh, wasn't necessarily the earliest of adopters of cloud technology, waiting for it to be you know, uh, vetted to be uh, appropriately secure and available and all these sorts of things, just as a, to take a couple of examples. Talk about where we are in terms of the evolution, of course, the specifics uh, of your organization in terms of implementing that uh, cloud-first, mobile-first uh, uh, stance, if you would. Yeah, you know, um, right from the beginning, if, if you look at, you know, we certainly have a privilege within our industry to be able to store, uh, safely and securely store the data that you have produced for us. And it's your data, it's not ours. Similar to a bank, you know, they have the privilege and the obligation to safely secure your financial assets. Uh, they're yours, they're not the banks, but the bank is securing them for you. So we have a very similar um, uh, role uh, from that perspective. And when you look at having that opportunity, you know, what we're looking at is the um, cybersecurity really being a component of. So if you looked at the circles that we've produced here, so this is the part of the vision and our operating model for technology and digital services surrounding all of that is cybersecurity. So when you start to transition and putting things on devices and putting them on an app or putting them for the most part up in the cloud, that safe and security of all those assets are important, as well as um, bringing down the cost of healthcare. And as you start to move things from our standpoint up into the cloud, there is an economies that takes place. It's safer than what we're able to do. Uh, it's more secure, but also we can do it at a more competitive rate uh, and bring down the cost of providing that service by putting it up in the cloud. What else happens in the cloud? Now I can provide some ubiquitous access to that data so that whenever that provider or whenever that patient is anywhere in the world, he or she actually has access to that information to provide that service. And that leads back to what we just talked about online. So it's not always just the physical presence of being able to treat somebody or provide health and wellness services, but it's really being able to take that electronically. So you got to have it in your pocket. That's the mobile aspect, got to put up in the cloud so it's ubiquitous and it's safe and secure. And then obviously the focus is the patient, the member, uh, the consumer. So bringing all those together is really what we're doing here to be able to, to provide and deliver that service. I would also add on the app side, you know, part of our responsibility too is to uh, develop those types of uh, applications that allow you to be more self-service, whether that's health and wellness or even certain aspects of care. And you see that happening now, you know, your credit card gets uh, 
uh, gets breached, you get notified that, hey, there's there's uh, appears to be maybe a transaction in a state or a location or a size that is different than what your normal practices are. And we've got to do the same thing here to be able to alert and be able to share those types of warnings to our patients and our members to keep them part of the rhythm, to know that we are interacting and engaging with them back and forth. So when things happen, either on a proactive and a preventive basis, and or we're receiving data that may indicate something going on that we can engage and involve that that patient or that member of that patient's family as appropriate to be able to intervene and, and become engaged and be part of the delivery of healthcare. Yeah. Very interesting. You know, I, I've, as you said, I won't uh, list the years when you, uh, when you started your, your journey as a, uh, <laughs> as a technology leader, but you know, I really liked your overview of the different waves of change in the, in the, uh, the function, the fact that this was, you know, initially a support organization, in a lot of companies reporting to the chief financial officer, a cost to be managed, if you will, and probably an esoteric uh, likely an esoteric part of the organization to leaders of other disciplines across an enterprise. Now the evolution through to, to the, the 3.0, which included data and analytics, as you discussed, to 4.0 of being strategic, uh, strategy centric, as you put it. Um, talk a bit about the pivot from the data and analytics uh, aspect that, that, uh, that were the foundational elements of, of uh, the 3.0 version of, of technology and digital now to the strategy centric version of this, what what have been some of the difference makers in terms of uh, IT leaders, digital leaders like yourself, uh, being able to rightfully take their place uh, as true strategy, strategic drivers for organizations in ways that perhaps were not not dreamed of in the early start parts of your career? Yeah. So the way that I would describe it is not necessarily a pivot, but more that this is additive. So those responsibilities and the focus when we're first, we still have to be great stewards of the dollar that we are, um, you know, that we have to be able to spend and look at those as investments on the operations side. We still have to support the operations data. The more we grab the data and convert that into business insights, clinical insights, and now on the digital with engagement. So it's really kind of additive in terms of the, the roles and the responsibilities and how those have continued to grow and shifted. And so there's a linkage all the way through. So when we look at things now on the strategic level, on the engagement level, on the digital aspects of it, I still have to focus on the finance and make sure that these are investments and not just an expense. I still have to make sure I understand the impact to the operations. I need data, you know, and I need the data to talk to me, to help me realize that I'm making the the best decisions and and moving forward. And then on the digital side, how do we get the engagement to occur for all those different personas that we described earlier so that they can become part of their daily or maybe even hourly rhythm of life? You know, we have have the way that I see it, Peter, you know, people wake up every morning, right? We're all all kind of a creature of habits and we'll do certain things. We might check our phone and see if we got any text. We may check social media, maybe check our email, you know, we'll go ahead and get ready for work, et cetera, and, and, and go, go through that process. And I'd like to be able to see how do we incorporate healthcare as part of that? So if you have a chronic disease that we're helping you manage, are you getting through a certain state of your life? How do we make sure that every day or at those right touch points, it becomes part of that, that rhythm for you? Similar on the health and wellness side, <clears throat> which is really the a major component of value and the population health direction that we want to take to really be that model for value-based care. A lot of that is going to be focused on health, prevention, early detection. So how do we make sure that those are just parts of what you do every day 
And then when something occurs that goes outside of the boundaries, we get notified. Yeah, there's a there's a different analogy maybe I could share. You know, when you looked at going to a, a, an airport, you know, and when they started moving some of that digital aspect into place, they had kiosks for you. And those kiosks were kind of off to the side or they were kind of more toward the front. So you kind of walked in and you still had, you know, your little path to get to a person. But if you wanted to, you could see over by the seating area, they had a few kiosks for people. Well, they didn't get used that great. So what they did was they put the kiosk in front. Now for me to get to a person, I have to go buy a kiosk. And so I typically now stop. Many of us stop now at the kiosk is, is doing the transaction, doing the work, because that has now become part of my path, part of the way for me to get the service done. And now I don't have to go to that extra mile to, to be able to go to a desk and talk to a person. <clears throat> Nine times out of 10, the machine can handle that for me. That's the same thing that in healthcare, we've got to make it so that it is just part of what somebody's normal. You know, it's kind of like, I know somebody had mentioned to me in the past that in order to weigh themselves every day, they basically, you know, put that, that put the scale right in the middle of their bathroom. So they have to walk by it. So you might as well stand on it as opposed to putting it off in the corner or in a shelf and pulling it out. When it's part of, of the work that you're doing and it's part of your daily routine, then that becomes something that will be a habit. And then you'd be happy to, to be able to provide that service. And, and you really don't even know that you're doing it. It just becomes part of your routine. That's a great, great overview of that. Thank you so much, Craig. I also wanted to ask you, you know, as you look to the future, we've talked about a number of trends, uh, trends on the rise, trends that you and the organization uh, are, are leveraging. Are there others that, that uh, you would call out that particularly excite you as you look to the future? Yeah, you know, there, there are a few. You know, one would be just some of the uh, robotics that's coming out into play. That's going to be a big piece for us in order to, when you look at the labor shortage and you look at the efficiencies and, and things that happen, kind of what I would say, maybe off stage, you know, in terms of a healthcare environment, having the robots there to be able to gather and deliver supplies, um, possibly meals, uh, medications to, to units or to certain rooms, you know, let the robot do that work. It's very predictable behavior. Associated to that is uh, is also intelligent automation. An aspect of that is robotic process automation that people talk about really starting to focus on how do I use the data in order to do the work and create what in my mind was what I call kind of a digital workforce. How do we make sure that the digital assets that we have actually can replace some of the under license aspects of the work that we do in order to make better decisions, more timely decisions, and relieve ourselves from maybe some of the laborious tasks that we put into play and allow that to be able to, to move forward. When you look at, um, just as a quick example, if you look at um, a, a nurse, uh, you'll see different statistics, but let's just say generally, people say in terms of actually delivering care, uh, which the nurse is licensed to do, it's about 25% of his or her time. The other 75% is a lot of other time. Some of it's just walking. You know, they walk several miles in a shift. Some of it is going into the computer to do things that are required, where there's documentation and other aspects that they need to do on the computer side. So there's a lot of administrative tasks that roll around it. How do we automate those administrative tasks so that he or she can spend most of that, most of their working day actually providing the care that only they can provide. I can't provide that. Other people on the team can't provide that. Only he or she can provide that because of their licensing piece. So how do we remove some of that work? So we're working with a company, uh, looking at some ambient intelligence for our physician providers, 
was basically takes the uh, interpretation and interprets the conversation between a patient and a physician. So uh, we have this now in over a hundred of our physicians where just like you and I are talking, if this is actually an exam, a, a clinic setting, it would disregard all the pieces that are irrelevant to the actual medical note. And then the system will interpret that conversation and create a more specified, more accurate note for me. Saves me from having to dictate, saves me from having to remember at the end of the day or at the end of my shift to be able to document you know, the, the actions that took place. It removes me from having to be so much hands-on on a computer. And the machine, the AI now does that processing. So we fit that all into intelligent um, automation. And the last thing I'll say is just the continued advancements within 3D printing. You know, that that's really is a piece for us in order to be able to, you know, everybody is, is, uh, is unique. You know, there are certain aspects of somebody looking to go into and, and doing a surgery on you, for example, versus surgery on me. It's going to be different of how they go in and perform that, that action. So be able to replicate and allow that, that surgeon or that clinician to be able to touch, feel, see exactly what they're going to see when they go in uh, certainly increases the probability of success rather dramatically. Yeah, very interesting, Craig. I appreciate that. Great overview. I also wanted to um, ask you, as someone who has risen to become a, a, a technology executive now of multiple multi-billion dollar organizations, what do you see as sort of the keys to your success? Some of the differentiating factors that have helped you on the pathway to achieve the, the, the positions and roles that you have. Again, perhaps um, tuned towards advice for others who might wish to walk in your footsteps. Yeah, I tell you, for me, it's really being that student for life to continue to listen, to continue to learn. Um, certainly don't, don't act or think like you they have the answers. Uh, you have the ability to participate and to facilitate and to be part of the conversations, but listen to other people looking at things from their lens. You know, their experience, their background, whether it's lengthy, small, in or outside of industry, they're going to see things different than you in order to make the best decision. You kind of need to interpret all the different options that are out there. So listening and learning to me, Peter, is, is the most important thing. I'm, I'm still learning every day. Uh, I, you know, I, I, get, I get thrilled with the opportunity to say, well, I didn't know that in the past, but let me go ahead and, and focus on that now. So those are, those are things for me that is, are, are, is really important. I think the other thing, too, is, is just being very respectful and have an empathy for others that you interact with. You know, there's, there's parts of our uh, life that get kind of contentious at times, very serious at times. So, you know, have a moment to laugh and understand and really just to be a, a good partner and a good team member of, of a larger, uh, larger group. Great, great advice and great thoughts. I appreciate you reflecting on that. Well, Craig Richardville, thank you so much for a great conversation encompassing your many leadership positions in the healthcare industry, the specifics of your current role and what you foresee in the, uh, the medium and long term uh, in it as well. I appreciate a great and stimulating conversation. Yeah, thank you, Peter. It's very enjoyable.